Coming up on this episode, our super sexy paranormal summer continues, and it's time to find out what happened on Dante's Cove in the aftermath of that Libra solstice. Welcome to episode 393 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Will, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Jeff. Hello, Rainbow Romance Reader. It's great to have you back here with us. And just a quick reminder before we get into the Dante's Cove craziness, if you'd like to keep up to date with the show and recent releases in our genre, you should check out the Rainbow Romance Reader Report. It's our weekly dispatch that delivers the latest news right into your inbox every Friday. There are so many great books that come out every week, it's far more than we could ever talk about here, so the newsletter is a great way to get more recommendations from us. Go to biggayfictionpodcast.com report for more information and to subscribe. All right, let's get down to it. You want to talk about some Dante's Cove? Oh my. I will admit up front that apparently I've forgotten season three. As we've done season one and season two, I've been like, oh, I remember that. I remember that. Ooh, I know this is about to happen. Watching this first episode of season three, I actually wonder if in the years since Dante's Cove, if I've actually looked at any of season three, because I was like, oh, 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 <laughs> just like. No, was... I, I actually totally agree with you. It's almost like watching it for the very first time. Yeah. It's essentially been 15 years since I've seen any of these episodes because of all the seasons, I think, unfortunately, season three is the one that I haven't really rewatched in any capacity. So I was surprised and delighted <laughs> by some of the things that are going on in this premiere of season three. It was bonkers, folks. It was bonkers. <laughs> and I know we say bonkers every time about these episodes, but this one was really a little bit like, okay, that's how they're going to take care of that problem that they created. So yes, please guide us through the first episode of season three. It's called Sex and Death. Very apropos, as we will soon learn. Mm -hmm. And the episode opens with a very helpful previously on where we recap the season finale of season two. The main focus, of course, is the Libra solstice and what went down there. Diana essentially triple-crossed everybody during the ceremony, and she used her particular brand of magic sparkly fingers to poof Ambrosius away, and she poofed Grace away. Van received the powers of treason. She was able to turn back time and bring Michelle back from the dead. But all does not end happily because Ambrosius returns, and because of a previous magical deal... He takes Kevin away to be his sex slave. So six months later, we see Kevin and Ambrosius. They're all wet and sexy in an outdoor shower. And frankly, Kevin doesn't seem to mind being a sex slave. But unfortunately, he's still wearing that fugly bewitched bracelet from Ambrosius. And although the two of them are getting hot and heavy, we're still not 100% sure that Kevin is there like 100% of his own free will. So no discussion of season three of Dante's Cove would be complete without mentioning the tsunami. Indeed. Now, apparently a lot has happened off screen in the intervening six months, one of which was a massive storm that swept away half of the island. This, I feel, was a pretty nifty trick that the writers came up with. It solves a couple of different plot problems and also some production issues that they have as well. Everyone returned to Hawaii for season three. But obviously, most of the locations that they previously used were no longer available. 
So they needed to find a bunch of new houses and locations to use for established settings in the series. And they explained that all away with a massive tsunami that wiped away the previous homes. So now we're all living in new ones. Yeah, Whatever they couldn't use again, washed it away. Makes a lot more sense than what they did between season one and season two, which was discuss none of the location changes at all. <laughs> Went from that, you know, creepy gothic house to the new fancy house in Hawaii for the Dante. Everybody, you know, the lighthouse from season one, gone. Tsunamis make much more sense. Some people upgraded. I think the Hotel Dante upgraded significantly in its look and appearance. H2O, on the other hand, became a veranda, (laughs) essentially. I'm sure we'll talk more about that when we get there. Well, everyone's favorite bar, H2O, is reopening, and Marco is obviously rethinking taking on Ambrosius as a silent partner. The problem is, he is not so silent. And in this one scene at the club, he has incredibly strong opinions about the music that the DJ is playing. Which I thought was a perfectly lovely tune. (laughs) Very funny and very strange. And we find that Ambrosius has his own set of fugly jewelry because he's wearing a necklace with a giant pendant. That could pair really well with Kevin's not-so-nice, not-so-attractive bracelet. So while Bro is bitching about the music, Britt is at the bar making out with her brand-new girlfriend. Now you may be asking, Britt, who the hell is that? <laughs> well, let's go into the Wayback Machine. <laughs> Britt was a character who was introduced at the beginning of Season 2, but eventually fell off the radar. Because she wasn't directly a part of the Libra Solstice. (laughs) But now Britt is back. And her new girlfriend, Elena, is played by lesbian supermodel Jenny Shimizu. And the two of them are hanging out, being all hot and sexy. And Elena wants Britt to go with her back to the mainland. Her extended vacation seems to be over. But Britt isn't sure if she wants to take their relationship to that next level. Besides, she is a marine biologist... Did we we know that before? Or is that something new for Britt? I don't remember. Britt is expanding her horizons. (laughs) Britt wants to stay on the island and discover some of the weirdness that has been going on. Quickly, before we move on, I want to ask you a question. I just mentioned Jenny Shimizu's character's name. As you were watching that episode, did you know what her name was? I don't recall getting her name until later when Brit's introducing her to someone that we'll talk about, I'm sure, later. This is my girlfriend, Elena. I don't think that was actually said up until like that point, which happens... Till, till further into the episode? Much further into the episode. Yeah, as character introductions go, it wasn't stellar. She was just macking on somebody at the bar. I'm like, okay. And then they were talking about staying, so it was clear that they'd had a longer history on the island together. Yes, at least we have a clear idea of the relationship between Britt and Elena. So, I mean, the fact that we don't know Elena's name until further into the episode, we can kind of write off as maybe an oversight. Another new character who is also introduced in this season premiere doesn't fare nearly as well. Let's quickly talk about Riken Lemuel who joins the cast as one of the Denzians of the Hotel Dante. Do you know his character's name? I think he might have said his name also towards the end of the episode when he's making his deal to stay on at the Dante. I think you're being far too generous. But maybe not. I don't think anybody mentions his name in the entire episode, and it's not until the end credits crawl. It's like, oh, apparently his name is Trevor. 
Oh, now that you say Trevor, I don't know that he ever said Trevor to anybody. <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> and we don't understand anything of what Trevor is going on. He's just kind of standing around and being a generic hot guy at the Hotel Dante. Yeah, we don't it, know why he's there or how he ended up there. He's just a dude bro who's hanging out with Adam. And Toby. I, it's so It's very odd. Those of you who may not remember, Reagan Lemuel appeared on one of the seasons of The Amazing Race. I looked it up on IMDb, and this was back in 2003. And he was one of, if not the first, one of the first gay couples to appear as a team on that show. And he kind of rode that 15 minutes of fame into a career in broadcasting and acting. He was on the logo reality show, The A-List. And he got to stand around and look hot, playing <laughs> a guy named, apparently, Trevor on Dante's Cove. Yeah, maybe he washed in with the tsunami. <laughs> I mean, who knows? <laughs> <sighs> because That's yeah hilarious. it is never covered how he came to be at the dante who he knew to get in at the dante because maybe it is adam and toby it's just like i'm just here i'm here and i have no backstory although we do know he's been in the military and he might be able to help fix things up at the house because apparently maybe kai washed out with the tsunami because we never see kai in this episode yeah so those are our thoughts on Two of the new characters. Let's get back to our main cast. Toby is working the evening shift at H2O and he runs into Kevin and he wants to know if Kevin is happy. And he kind of pastes on a smile and he's like, yes, yes, I am very happy. Thank you for asking. <laughs> and then I am a Stepford wife. <laughs> and Ambro kind of saunters over, making sure everybody knows that Kevin is his. No one better be sniffing around his man. <laughs> and... I just want to briefly mention, as much as I love Charlie David, for some reason, this season, his choice for Toby was Frosted Tips. He's colored his hair, and I don't think it's a good look. And it's short. <laughs> it's he, he cut it. It's like this kind of reddish brown color, and it's just... Eh. It made me wonder if... He had done something previous to Dante's where he had to adopt a look and didn't have time to undo it. I mean, maybe the frosted tips you probably could have gotten rid of for the shoot. But I wondered if he had to have taken on a look for something he had done or if he needed to maintain a look. I don't know. I gave him a bit of the benefit of the doubt on the hair. <laughs> <laughs> so the story takes us to the next day and what might be one of the most unique I'm struggling to come up with another word. There really is no other way to describe how Grace makes her return to Tante's Cove. She comes back via flaming meteor. It made me remember Superman's arrival. <laughs> oh, God. A blue ball of fire comes streaking across the sky, and Grace lands face down on the beach, played for maximum comedic impact. She was brilliant. No pun, in no pun intended there. Tracy's always good oh for hitting the right moments. It's brilliant. <laughs> and she stumbles away with like sand in her mouth and seaweed in her hair. I don't know where she got the seaweed from because she did so, not land in the water. It's so, it's so strange <laughs> and wonderful. And I have questions about this because she lands on the part of the beach that they used all of season two. We have not seen that stretch of beach in this episode to this point. Nor do we see it again. And it made me wonder if they actually shot that as part of season two and hung on to it. 
have no idea. I don't know if you got anything in the commentary about that, but like, okay. My other question to this is, it's six months later. Diana managed to send Grace far, far away. And yet, Bro was back by the end of the episode at the end of season two. Why did she not send him far away also? I have questions that you're not going to be able to answer, but I have questions. So Grace is busy hoofing it across the island (laughs) when a hot guy in a convertible pulls up. It is another new arrival in the cove, a guy named Griff, and he is played by the smooth-talking Jensen Atwood, formerly of Noah's Ark. Really happy to see that he joined the cast. Yeah, I was super excited to see him in the credits. I'm like, oh, forgot about that. Yay, because love him in Noah's Ark. I mean, that's one of our very favorite shows. And to have him show up to Dante's Cove was a lot like getting Thea Gill in in season two, bringing in some really good actors to round out the cast and and play some of these important roles amongst the craziness of Treesome. So Griff already knows who Grace is. He introduces himself. He, it turns out, is part of the Treesome Council. And he is on the island doing business. And he's the one who tells her all about the tsunami and everything that's gone on. She only thought she was gone for a minute. I know. He's like, (laughs) it's been six months. And she's like, what? (laughs) Meanwhile, back at the new Dante, Adam is busy giving Toby a friendly massage. And Toby makes it abundantly clear he is only interested in being friends. So much happened with Adam in those six months. When we left off in season two, he was essentially being brought into the world of the lair, which apparently has been swept away in the tsunami because we don't see them at all in the season premiere. But he's become clean. There's like a throwaway line to the fact that he's trying to be in rehab from his saint addiction. And from being the I'm very straight... He's apparently at least into maybe becoming Toby's boyfriend now that Kevin's off the table. So it's very interesting some of the things that aren't explained all that well with the transformation of Adam in these six months. Elena tells Britt that she has decided not to go back to the mainland, and they celebrate by fucking in the kitchen. Of the new Dante. I didn't realize they were in the new Dante until until a few minutes later. It's nice to know that the new Dante kitchen... Gets Gets just as much action as the other Dante (laughs) Kitchen. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It's not nearly as nice, though. There's no island there to help, (laughs) you know, with your positioning. So Griff is sweet-talking Grace in that flirty way that only Jensen Atwood can. And he drops her off at her windward home. And she goes inside to find lesbians hooking up in the kitchen. (laughs) And she's like, what is going on here? And she tries to cast a protection spell. But it turns out her powers are not what they used to be. That was hilarious because she, the it, the spell was something around getting rid of the intruders or something. And all that happened is she broke a bowl of fruit. If <laughs> <laughs> the fruit might be the intruder, her wavelength isn't quite right. Having come back, so Grace gathers all the unwashed masses who are staying at her house and has them explain what is going on. All the former tenants of the Hotel Dante decided when the hotel washed away, that they would simply go stay at Grace's other palatial home <laughs> and wait to see if she ever returns. Makes complete sense. <laughs> She's like, eh, I'm not sure I'm completely into this. But Toby explains that they have been collecting rent. And she's like, okay, I'll be nice. You can all stay until the end of the month. She implied that the the pocket money was nice, which was cute. That, uh, that envelope also... 
made me wonder how much they're paying for rent because that was not a particularly large envelope for what should have been six months of rent from like six or seven people. (laughs) So after dropping off Grace, Griff goes and pays a call to Diana at her surf shop. Diana's been a very, very naughty girl. And clearly the surf shop's on the leeward side of the island because it is just fine. (laughs) (laughs) So when he kind of struts in, she's kind of intrigued because, duh, it's Jensen Atwood. But she's also a little pissed off because he's part of the council. She doesn't want to deal with what she calls a baby bureaucrat. And he demands that she stop trying to correct the mistakes that she made during the Libra Solstice ceremony. It seems that all of the various disasters that have befallen the island in the last six months are all a result of Diana using magic and casting spells, and her attempts to fix things have continually gone wrong. Meanwhile, Kevin is cuddling Bro in bed, and once he is sure that Ambrosius has fallen asleep, he sneaks away, grabs his copy of the Book of Treason, and quickly casts a teleportation spell, and he poofs over to the Dante, and he tells Toby that he is, of course, still in love with him, and he is working on getting out of Ambrosius's clutches. Toby just needs to be patient while he's figuring it all out. Please wait for me. Proving once again this this particular scene that anyone can practice treason. Kevin was reading from that book. That book was not written in English. I don't. There's no explanation of why he can read this book. I mean, at least when Van was working with the book. There was that evolution of her being able to read more and more of it, and we'd see the words transform. None of that here. Kevin could just read it You're do it. You're so cute. You're really overthinking this. <laughs> I think it could probably be explained away that Kevin is technically bewitched at this point. He's wearing that crappy magic bracelet, and there's all sorts of you know spells and stuff going on. I think we're going to actually learn in later episodes that in the ensuing six months that we haven't seen, Kevin has been exploring Treesome all by himself. Or it's just the proximity to bro. Like you said, all this magic swirling about. I just want an internal logic. That's all I ask. So Grace visits Diana at the surf shop. She's like, hey, I'm back. And she attempts to do some magic. It does not work. Not even breaking a fruit bowl this time. So what does she do? She throws something instead. (laughs) Which is hilarious. Yeah, she throws this coconut that's carved like a monkey. It's just like yeah. tacky tourist tchotchke. <laughs> it's really, really funny. <laughs> and since she can't use her magic, she does the next best thing. She gets into a sisterly bitch witch cat fight with Diana. It was brilliant. Okay, and truly, as fights go, the choreography is a little bit meh, but it's still like super campy and Totally awesome. Oh, my God. I loved watching these two go at one another. Because I don't think <laughs> there are stunt doubles here. Oh, the production no. probably can't. No. So you've got Thea Gill and Tracy Scoggins trying to make this look good while not seriously hurting each other, which could also happen. They're like going, ah, and rolling around <laughs> on the floor. And it's oh just, oh, it's the best. It's totally the best. And it's cute that outside, Griff is hanging out with two random people. And totally manages to ignore what's happening, you know, 20 feet away in the surf shop. And just, if he knows that they're fighting in there, he totally ignores it. So it's cute watching him in the background, totally ignoring it. Yeah, while the two sisters fighting, Griff is flirting with two tourists in the background. On the DVD extras of this particular season, there is a cut scene that came later in the episode, where in an attempt to introduce Griff's bisexuality in a sexy way. 
we're shown him kind of hanging out with these two naked hot people, one guy and one girl. And as the director, Sam Irvin, explains, that scene didn't quite work. And there were other moments in a future episode that much more concretely explore Griff's bisexuality. So in this particular case, Griff's flirtation with these extras doesn't really go particularly anywhere. Anyhow, meanwhile, (laughs) Michelle has returned to the cove. And she tells Toby the whole story of what she's been doing the last six months. She went back home to the farm or something, I guess, and was hanging out with her parents until they were brutally murdered. Oh, no. And she suspects some of the evil energy from the cove followed her back home. And she has returned to the cove to investigate what exactly may have been the cause of her parents' death. She also got a major makeover. Yes, there's a lot to do unpack. We haven't mentioned up until this point that Van died in the tsunami. It's th- this point. <laughs> it's at this point that Toby breaks the news to Michelle. She's like, "Where's Van?" And Toby's like, "Oh, she's dead." <laughs> Toby helpfully mentions a couple of times to a couple of different people in this episode. And somebody tells Grace. I can't remember who tells Grace. Who's like? That's unfortunate. Yeah. Actress Nadine Heinemann did not return for season three. So she was essentially written off. And though everyone is sad, we're all moving on without Van, apparently. Even though there's that wackadoodle scene, the very first scene with her painting on the apocalyptic beach. And it's like... Okay. Now, before you go any further, we need to explain. As sort of a bridge to the death of a main character, Sam Irvin used unused footage of the actress from season one. Oh. This episode opens with Toby. He's having a nightmare, and he's dreaming about Van's death. So they use that footage to ease us into the idea that one of our main characters, a genuinely important trio in season two, that one of them is now gone. But things have changed for Michelle, too. Aaron Cummings did not return for season three as well. So Michelle is now played by actress Jill Bennett. Now I understand all the comings and goings as we're describing them here might be a little bit confusing. I actually think the show does a pretty good job of laying the groundwork of what's going to be happening during this season and explaining all of the changes in a straightforward way that isn't as confusing as we're making them sound. Yeah, I would agree. Like the They do all the right things of like, hey, Michelle, they say her name, unlike some people who never get a name. <laughs> <laughs> they very explicitly every time hey michelle and i think it's even marco who's like you look a little different a little better or, <laughs> exactly, or something right. i think it's interesting that somebody as important as van exits the show and they don't recast her like they did with michelle they must have had some interesting ideas on where to take season three to allow such a major character to not return while bringing back a minor character and just recasting Not the first time they've recast, because obviously, you know, Adam got recast from season one to season two. So there's history for that in the show already. Adam is bummed out that he's been permanently sidelined to the friend zone by Toby. So Trevor helpfully tells him that they don't even have to be friends if they want to hook up. So they do. It's super fast and dirty. Indeed. It gets the job done. More showing how Adam has changed since his time at what we assume happened in the lair for him (laughs) before this tsunami happened. Grace amusingly asks Toby for some dating advice. She's interested in courting Griff, so she has an awkward conversation with Toby. And then later, to prove just how desperate she really is, she even asks Trevor for some advice. She interrupts his naked hot tub party 
to do so. Another really cute and funny moment that Tracy Scoggins knows how to play just right. I think she, out of everyone on the show, understands the tone of season three. It's not like a blatant wink at the audience, but I think she gets it. Mm -hmm. And she's willing to go there to play some of the more ridiculous and comedic aspects of what's happening to Grace. She had all this power, and now she's got none. Yeah. And she's played that transition beautifully. One night after Marco closes up H2O, he's walking home, and he comes across Brit, and he goes with her to the place that she's using as a lab, where she does her ocean science. She's got a master's, or is working towards the master's. She's got stuff going on there. So the scene between these two characters lays a little bit of the groundwork that's going to be important later in the season. Brit is able to talk about some of the oceanographic anomalies that have been happening in the cove. And meanwhile, Marco is actually able to explain his interest in treason, something we've never really explored up until this point. Nope. He's like down with all the history. And he even has a magical mood ring that was apparently (laughs) passed down from his grandmother. The next day at H2O, Michelle visits Marco. Wow, you look different. Welcome back. She explains why she's returned. She's looking for someone who has an in with Treesome. He suggests she maybe check out Grace or Anne Ambrosius. And she's like, no, no, no. I don't want to talk to them. Help me find someone else. But his mood ring turns black. Something's not good going down in the cove. Meanwhile, Toby and Adam are broing out on the beach. And Toby mentions that he saw Kevin and Bro seeming really damn happy together. So he declares that he and Kevin are officially over. I found this to be very disconnected. Well, it was just like, it wouldn't be an episode of Dante's Cove if Toby and Kevin didn't break up. It's a bit, I mean, <laughs> admittedly, they, no, I totally see where you're coming from, but it's just like, ugh, not this again. Come on. It's like, did you put that scene in the right place in the episode? <laughs> because in the fake massage scene that they were talking about that, yeah, it's really over and I'm kind of, you know, moving on and. I'm overcoupled them, and then poof, Kevin makes his appearance, going, "Please wait for me." And then, it, and then he saw them like preparing to surf or something because he was spying on them. And oh, Kevin looks really happy. So yeah, I'm over that. But like, you saw this. It's like, did somebody shuffle the scenes wrong? But you're right. It wouldn't be an episode if they didn't break up. So now they've broken up from their sort of like wait for me moment. It was. It's one of those scenes you're going to tell me not to overthink it. Yep. Just go with it. So the newly reopened H2O is proving to be remarkably popular because Griff shows up and Marco, because suddenly this is his thing, he will not shut up about treason. (laughs) And Griff is all like, you want to know about treason? I'll show you what's up. He does that flirty thing that he does. And they go back into Marco's office where he shows Griff just how good he is when it comes to the oral history of treason on the island. They get down to it. And here's what I have to say about this particular scene. How have we gotten all the way to season three and we have not yet explored magical orgasms? Right? How is this just showing up now? Because not even bro's done that (laughs) to anybody. So here's the thing. Marco is down on his knees for Griff and Griff places his magic hands on him and he has this intense magical orgasm. So once Griff is finished off, Marco continues, and Griff places his hands on him, and he comes to a completely unsubtle, earth-shattering completion, if you will. 
Anyway, I think it was just really interesting that it's taken us this long to get to this place. Maybe bro hasn't read that chapter of the book. (laughs) Right? He's too busy making like ugly jewelry and stuff. So Marco's afterglow is ruined when his mood ring turns black again, and he is haunted by the graphic images of the murder of Michelle's parents. At least we assume that's who they are, because we don't know for sure, but it's a good assumption. And it is right graphic. Michelle is continuing her Return to the Cove Hi, I'm Back tour, (laughs) and she runs into Britt and Elena on the beach. That's where we get to hear Elena's name. Yeah, we finally hear (laughs) Elena's name. And this is our first opportunity to see all of our lesbian main characters like hanging off going saying, hey, hi, what's up? And the scene itself isn't really much more than that, but it's a remarkable opportunity to see three gorgeous women hanging out on the gorgeous beach in Hawaii, proving once again that while this show itself may not have a ton of money, it does have a gorgeous cast and the gorgeous Hawaiian scenery, and they know how to make the most of what they've got. That night... Under a full moon, Diana, it seems, just cannot leave well enough alone. And she is trying to cast a spell at the location of the magical spring that was part of the season two finale. It was nice to say that they kept that around so they could use it again. It did not wash away. Griff catches her and warns her to stop. And when she doesn't, he uses his extra super sparkly fingers and he takes all of her powers away. Thea Gill appropriately became a mess writhing on the ground. Crying, upset, sad. Whatever will she do now? You know, I hadn't really thought about it till just now. I believe Griff's magic sparkly fingers are the color of the bisexual flag. Those of you who are watching this episode, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Maybe. We'll see if we can validate that before we talk about episode (laughs) two. So poor Diana, she's having a real rough night, but not as rough as Marco. Mm -hmm. As the episode races towards its conclusion... Marco tries to tell Grace about the dark force in the cove, but she's like super bored by it. She's like, ugh, whatevs. She came to H2O. <laughs> we don't know why she came to H2O. Well, okay, here's the thing. Tracy Scoggins is doing her Tracy Scoggins thing, and she kind of struts into H2O. I believe she's looking for Griff. She wants to court him. Yeah, maybe I think that's, that's why yeah. she's there, and she cannot be bothered with Marco. And then she leaves. So Marco decides that he's going to go find Ambrosius and tell him what is going on about these visions, about the darkness, all that stuff. But as he's heading over to Ambrosius' place, he is brutally attacked on the beach. We get this creepy stalker cam viewpoint of Marco being attacked, being torn to shreds and all bloody. And when the camera finally turns around, we realize that the dark force that has arrived in the cove is none other than Michelle. It's a very pet cemetery turn. <laughs> She's all possessed and wild. And that, unfortunately, is the last that we see of Marco. You don't bring back people from the dead. It's a very bad idea. Always is. Is that truly Marco's last moment in the cove? Yeah. Oh. Sad to see him go. I guess that means bro owns it H2O full out now. <laughs> I wonder if he wants to run a bar. He can bitch at the DJ all he wants from now on. <laughs> That was a lot of ground to cover, a lot of changes, a lot of dramatic goings on. But that was season three, episode one of Dante's Cove. If you'd like to check out Dante's Cove for the first time or maybe revisit it, you know where those episodes are. You can find them all streaming on Amazon Prime Video. This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. Oh, thank you, Patreon peeps. If you'd like to read our conversation for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And if you've watched Dante's Cove in the past, 
or maybe you're checking it out now for the first time and really getting into that whole super sexy paranormal summer vibe, we'd love to know what you think of it. You can leave us a comment on the show notes page. All right, I think that'll do it for now. Coming up next in episode 394, we return to Toby and Kevin and the gang as Supernatural Summer continues. There is so much to talk about as Michelle is going to cause some more chaos and Griffin's going to get up to some serious flirting. I'm blushing right now. Oh, swoon, Griffin, you make me swoon. On behalf of Jeff and myself, we want to thank you so much for listening and we hope that you'll join us again soon for more discussions about the kinds of stories we all love big gay fiction kind. Until then, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Production assistance by Tyson Greenan. Original theme music by Daryl Banner. 